Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually and then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 209 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome start to your day. So this is a side note, but you are not going to actually be able to see this since this is an audio interview, but I got a new standing desk. So I'm like really excited and I actually recorded this podcast conversation standing up, which was really cool. I had been saving up for a standing desk because I I actually posted this in the Selling the Couch Facebook community a couple of weeks ago now, but I had been saving up for a desk because I had been using an old dining room table for uh, to record all of these episodes of Selling the Couch and, and to build the blog up since 2015. And so I'd been saving up for a nice standing desk. And I wanted to have a couple of different features. Ended up finding this really sweet desk at Costco and ended up getting it. And I won't like ramble too much more about it. But one of the really cool features of the desk that I like is that I it's glass on the top. So I can actually take markers and jot down notes and stuff. And because I think that way. And so it's, uh, I'm excited to have like a new like doodle board. So, but uh, I hope that you are doing well today. Today's podcast conversation is a topic we've had before, but one that I wanted to dive into a little bit more, which is doing immigration hardship evals. My guest is Juan Santos. Juan is in Greens in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, Juan is here to talk all about these evaluations, what he's learned along the way, how to conduct them, how to market them, how to charge for them. Yeah, it's just a really good conversation. And we get into like the real meat of it. And I think especially if you've uh, been curious about immigration hardship evals, and even this question of, wait a minute, I'm not a doctoral level clinician. So can I actually do these evals? That the answer may surprise you. So before we do get to today's podcast conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for being supporters of the podcast and for supporting today's podcast session. If you guys haven't heard of Therapy Notes, they're an electronic health records provider. They're actually local. We found out they're about 30 minutes away from each other, and they're one of the largest electronic health records. And they... I wanted to just share two of the features. Well, I'll share one now and then one later. But one of the really cool things is, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how to streamline my own private practice. And one of the things is, you know, specifically with intakes, right? How do I go paperless? And the really cool thing with Therapy Notes is that you can actually 
do completely paperless intakes down to signatures. And so you can electronically share handouts, agreements for more and things like that for our clients to be able to review. They can, as I mentioned, they can electronically sign and they can and complete it and send back to you. So that way they can actually send the intake before the session starts. So then you're not one, they're not trying to like scramble to finish it and all of those things. So you can get it really nice and streamlined. You can learn more about therapy notes and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. And that's all one word. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here is my conversation with Juan Santos from santoscounseling.com. Hey, Juan, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. We had a similar conversation, gosh, about 40 episodes ago, and there were several folks that emailed wanting more. And when you had reached out, I was like, man, you know, this is, uh, it's meant to happen. And so I'm really excited for uh, the things that you're doing in the world, especially related to immigration hardship evals. And uh, I'm grateful that you're joining us to share what you've learned along the way. Absolutely. I am excited to be here with you. And hopefully, you know, those listening are able to take a message away. I wanted to kind of start general, which is, you know, what made you interested in doing immigration hardship evaluations? I love that question. And I find that sometimes it'll shift just depending on where I am in my life, what age, or if I'm connecting with my daughter, maybe. Right now, what I feel from that question is my childhood. You and I, before the episode, we're talking about where, where I'm from, originally from the Dominican Republic. And my family and I, we came here to the U.S., you know, with a little bit of humor behind it. You know, it's the American dream. I remember as a child, my dad would joke around and say, Juan, when you were little, you would want to come to the U.S. And you would say, Daddy, buy me an airplane, right? So it's just, <laughs> obviously, he couldn't do that. But it kind of highlights that American dream. And when I work with these families, when I work with these individuals and in navigating immigration evaluations, it really connects to that. These are people that are wanting and striving to live the American dream. And I think as citizens here in the U.S., we acknowledge our rights and our privileges, and it allows us to breathe easy, to find work, to find accommodation, and to build sustaining and nourishing relationships with each other. Yeah, I love the, for you, it's beyond just an evaluation, right? These are people, I mean, these are people whose lives can really be impacted in some big ways through these evaluations. Yes. Um, I wanted to just kind of get a little bit more into the meat of it. So again, these are, I feel like when I was <laughs> preparing these, I was like, man, I have a lot of really naive questions. But what does the typical process look like for when a client is interested in doing an immigration eval? Is it something that's like mandated? Is it like, do they reach it? Like guide us through that process. Yeah, it's a great question because it can be a little bit complicated. So I'll just break it down so that it makes sense. These immigration evaluations, it's a service that an individual or their family, they're going to be working with an attorney. And there's different type of cases that require a clinician to write the evaluation. And I'll give you an example of a case, a hardship case. That's where, let's say my wife and I, my name is Juan and her name is Elizabeth, and I am not documented here in the U.S. So she would be going through hardship, psychological hardship. She would go see a counselor, let's say you, Melvin, and then you would work with her to identify the psychological hardship, the emotional hardship that she's going to be going through if I, her husband, Juan, were to be separated from her or deported back to you know, my, my native home. 
that's where that evaluation comes in as far as you writing it as her clinician. You're also going to be working with the attorney. So you have a sort of collaborative relationship, you, the clinician, the attorney, working with the client to support them as they navigate this process. And the goal is to write an effective, a really powerful evaluation so that that immigration attorney is able to effectively present in court. But I do encourage individuals working in this field to be mindful that our position is neutral you know, we're not in there trying to, you know, directly say, you know, I want, I want them to win this case. We're more just trying to write a strong evaluation. Evaluation at its core is you're trying to identify what's being presented in those sessions with that client. Yeah, that's an interesting thing you bring up because I could definitely see this like where you would feel pulled to say something that an attorney might want you to say or, you know, what a client might want you to say. So, And I imagine this like depends on every case and every situation, but have you found certain things to kind of maintain that objectivity? Like whether it's, you know, like a statement that you say to the attorney or, you know, phrasing that you say to the family or I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but how do you maintain that objectivity and how do you set those clear boundaries? Yeah, it does make sense. I'd like to point to just clinical education. Us as clinicians as a community, we go through education, graduate school, some of us doctorate level training where we are taught to practice self-care. We're taught to keep a very healthy distance so that we don't go home and we don't, you know, really take on these factors that we're discussing and then subjectively throw them into our work. Mm. With that, when we're navigating these immigration cases, a clinician may find themselves communicating with an attorney who I don't know, they may say, you know, can't you dig a little bit more into this area? And I think that's where as professionals we must maintain to our ethical code. And if we do dig into an area, we dig into it objectively, clinically, and as sound as possible. But it is a very, very good question. Yeah, no, I mean, and it seems like, I guess the one thing I'm taking away from it is it's something that you constantly have to be aware of. So, you know, like, I guess, who are the individuals or the players that are in this, in these evaluations? What is the data that's being presented? And then can I present this in a way that is objective? And I imagine, my gosh, it would be challenging, especially because, you know, you're seeing these folks and you're hearing these stories and, you know, it's not easy. You're absolutely right. There's, there's many times where, you know, if I'm, whether it's me or speaking with a colleague and, you know, just the other day we were talking about how we're sitting in there working through a session and the individual is going through something that we could almost put ourselves into. You know, they're a parent, we're a parent, they have a child, we have a child. And you see them going through such an emotional roller coaster, if you will. And, and those are those moments that we, we must practice self-care. We must be able to, of course, show empathy, but, you know, post that session, be able to take a deep breath, go for a long walk. And then go back to, you know, writing the evaluation in a very clinical sound manner. So is it the attorneys that generally reach out or is it the clients that are seeing the attorneys that reach out? Is it kind of a mix of both? So it really depends. More likely than not, it is the attorney about 90% of the time. Sometimes, though, there are clients that do reach out when they're aware of how to navigate their legal case. And, you know, these legal cases, they do get very complex as far as what type of documents do they have to turn in? Do they turn into the attorney? Do they go through a, a different avenue? Do they go see a counselor? So I'll probably say about 10% of the individuals that I work with or the clinicians that I provide a consultation to, about 10% of those they serve come in just on their own. And then about 90% come in through attorneys. Got it. And then how, I guess in terms of more of the practical things, so these attorneys call you and they'll say, hey Juan, you know, we have this 
hardship evaluation? And then is there sort of like a, a standard protocol, like, you know, a hardship evaluation means, you know, I, I meet once with the client and the attorney together, I meet once with the client, then I spend, you know, X amount of time writing a report, or does it like vary depending on the situation? The immigration case that they're navigating, imagine it like a portfolio, if you will. And in that portfolio, they have different documents that highlight different areas of that case to be able to support them. The clinical side is just one component, one section of that portfolio. So the attorney, if they're working with an individual, they would reach out to the counsel. They would say, hey, Juan, I have this patient uh, or this client, excuse me, who could benefit from your services or you want to work with them in writing the evaluation. And I do want to share just for a second, if it's okay, just a little bit of a tangent so that we're able to kind of see the broad scope. When writing the immigration evaluations, there are more than one. So right now we're really discussing the hardship. There's another one, for example, called a U visa, and that's when someone in U.S. territory is subject to a crime. So an example of that would be if I go to the bank and at the bank there's a robbery and I'm part of that situation, you know, as clinicians, we can kind of say, well, Juan, if you're in that bank and, you know, you're part of that robbery that took place, you, you may have a lot of trauma. So then you would go see the clinician and the clinician would write the evaluation, how you were impacted, how that situation itself has changed, if you will, your life from that day on. And there's other evaluations as well, not just those two. There's a few more. But again, overall, the clinician is writing and connecting the evaluation to those cases. And it sounds like the type of evaluation, it, it has something to do with their life circumstances, something, some kind of stressor that's impacting them and potentially their immigration status. Correct. Yep. Such as let's say T-Visa, trafficking visa, there's a VAWA that one has to do with uh, violence against men or women. And, and then a few other asylum, that's a typical one that most people have heard of that one where people seek refugee here in the US. Hmm. I mean, just offhand, like how many of these are there? So it sounds like there's hardship, U-Visa, asylum. Hardship, U-Visa, so we're at two, then VAWA, asylum, and T-Visa. So those are the five core ones. With the hardship, there's also cancellation or removal which makes it just a little more extreme hardship, if you will. Now, I encourage clinicians new to this field and who are interested and eager to get, you know, to dive in, not to get too overwhelmed with these areas. It's almost as if you were looking at different clinical approaches. You know, how do I do the empty chair technique? Or how do I support someone with mindfulness, right? At first, it's a term, but there is that clinical practice of, you know, gaining education, gaining uh, knowledge. And I think, I think a lot of you out there are able to support in this area. And I'd really be happy to have you in this area. And it's, it's really an area right now with the climate that we have that we need strong professionals. No, absolutely. I think there's definitely such a need for these services. And yeah, and I feel like for, for many folks, especially that listen to the podcast, I think there's, I think these type of evaluations, like it's a kind of a personal mission, you know, it's more than just doing a evaluation. So, so you get the call from these attorneys and then do you have like, I guess, do you charge based on the sort of type, whether it's a hardship or a U visa, or do you charge based on hour or how does all of this work? The rate, I really look at my geographic area. So just where I live, I'm here in Greensboro, North Carolina. I have an office in Greensboro, one in Winston. So I just look at the area and then I see what other clinicians are charging literally as if I were looking at psychotherapy, right? So I look at the market, what's being charged, and then I do a rough association to that. In addition, I look at how long does it take me to write the evaluation? 
how long does it take me to communicate with the attorney, to communicate with the client, and then what's really a comfortable rate for my office, for my lifestyle, and then for those that I serve. It does depend on those factors. So it seems like there can be some leeway depending on things like the level of complexity, like what type of of these evaluations it is and, and those kind of things. Correct. And urgency sometimes too. There's weeks where an attorney might call and say, we need this Friday, Juan, and it's Wednesday. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's let's get on it. Sounds like that's happened before. <laughs> it does happen. And one thing to be mindful of is, is usually due to, at least in my experience, those that we're serving they're highlighting that component of not being documented. So someone who's not documented in the U.S., usually you're not able to drive. You're not able to have your tax ID, so you can't have work or stable work. And those factors directly impact or interconnected to economic status. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is, so I could see like why something like this would get like very urgent. I guess, again, like sort of a tangent. So, you know, an attorney calls, like, let's say you've got like two days to do an eval, right? They need something urgent. So two part question. The first is like, how do you figure out? Because I would think there's sort of like a premium you would charge for that. Right. And then two, how do you decide whether you'll take that on or not? Because I can't imagine like, you know, sometimes you have life stuff going on, right? And you may not be able to like turn it around that quick. Yeah. I put my Superman cape on and fly to the rescue. <laughs> that was, yeah, that cool. sounds like an amazing cape. <laughs> I'll let you borrow it sometime. I could use it. <laughs> I like to think that all, all of us have a Superman cape. To the question, I have one expedited fee, and I generally just add an extra 200 to that amount of the total. And I keep that across the board. As far as fitting it, I have myself and then another clinician who's in the office. So if I'm not able to do it, they're able to do it. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a couple of other uh, clinicians in the area that over the years I continue to build just a strong relationship with so that if I find myself in a crunch like that, I know that these are not cases where the person can wait. You know, these are cases that we need the evaluation because we're going to go in front of immigration court. And if we don't have this and it doesn't support it, this dad or this mom is going to be separated from their family system. Hmm. And that type of weight, at least for me, it carries very, very heavily. And my practice is a family-owned practice. So my, my spouse, my wife, we're, we're both very dedicated and knowledgeable. Sometimes the work that comes with it. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like I keep saying this, but like, I feel like this type of evaluation really like it would like I think I'm very interested in, but I could definitely see this like where this really pulls at my heartstring, you know? Yeah. How do you maintain, I guess, take us inside like a hypothetical situation like that where, you know, you're in your time crunch like that. How do you, silly question, but like, how do you maintain that clarity to write an objective evaluation knowing there's that emotional you know, pressure like an immigration court coming in like two days? I try to have everything as organized as possible. So meaning that even right now, before I'm, I'm working with a patient, I have all of my intake questions that I want to ask. And I have them in a manner that I can break them down into further questions. So that goes into structured, unstructured interview style. I have documents that I can send virtually online. So it increases the retention of questions and answers that I need for the evaluation. And then I use inventory, such as common ones like the GAD7 or the PHQ9, where they're already in the languages that I need them. So I try to have everything ready and prepared. During the session, I go into the conversation of what it's going to be like before we even get into it. 
mean, that's something that I kind of wanted to share a little bit, and we'll go on a tangent, but I'll continue here. And when with it, I'll share with the individual, anytime that you need a break, let me know. And there's times where a two-hour session can turn into a four-hour session. Just depending on if we, if we need breaks, I try to be as respectful if I can, as I can, because sometimes the questions that we're going into of, you know, looking and, and highlighting what would it be like to be separated from your spouse? That's not a question somebody wants to wake up and answer. Mm, right. And it's not something that you can necessarily just almost like have a checklist question like, you know? Correct. Yeah. It's very, very far from, from that checklist. And it does, Melvin. I'll be very honest and direct with you. It, it hits me at the core each and every time. And I'm very thankful that there's no numbness yet. I'm thankful that each time I feel, each time I hurt, because I think that I mean, I think that highlights, at least for me, my journey as a clinician. Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, you just said that so beautifully, because I think you're right, like, in a way, feeling that pain, I think, connects you with these people and connects you with it's more than just an evaluation, it's more than just a means of income, you know, Mm -hmm. imagine that itself, I think, impacts the probably the quality of the, the reports that you present, questions that you ask how you even prepare for these things, right? Like, I mean, you said it so well, like, I think a lot of it is like you you create, you know, you've got these questions ready to go. You've got questionnaires, all that kind of stuff. I did want to ask like a random thing. So you mentioned a couple of questionnaires. So I've never, I actually haven't heard of those. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about typically what are like the most common questionnaires that you tend to use? The inventory that I mentioned? Yeah. The PSQ-9 looks at depression, symptomology. Mm -hmm. And the GAD-7, that looks at, generalizing anxiety symptomology and th- those are just very general a lot of times physician offices will use that mm. um, i tend to use those as an introduction to d- digging a little bit further so an example of that could be if i went to i don't know if i went to my first appointment at my physician's office they may give me something like that and on there it could be a question of you know do you experience worry several days more days than not almost every day. And then depending on what I check, that could lead that physician to asking further questions. And I like to use those inventories specifically in these type of cases because the immigration evaluation highlights like a psychosocial-like evaluation. And typically with those, the more that you dig, the deeper that you go in, the, the stronger, the more effective the evaluation can come out and support the individual. Right. Again, this is a really random question. Are there specific measures that are created for like populations that are undergoing hardship, for example? Or is it more that you're using these like, you know, general depression, anxiety inventories? I don't have the answer to the first question, although I feel like it's somewhere in my noggin. I can't just pull and I can't pull it out at this moment. Yeah, no worries at all. I like to use the general ones. I'll share a little bit why often the individuals that I'm working with, there's, there's, there's maybe one out of a hundred, right? So very low percent that has a past history of counseling or has a past history of sitting down and having an emotional disclosure, if you will. And it's usually connected to cultural components. I myself as a Latino being born in Dominican Republic, being raised in a Latino household, I acknowledge the power of, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, kind of keep it to yourself. Mm. Or statements uh, as far as you need to go see a doctor. Well, of course, you're talking about a physician. You're not talking about a counselor, clinician, or psychologist. And sometimes growing up in a culture like that, it can lead the individual to having a different type of aptitude compared to one in Western culture that may be a little bit more comfortable with those type of conversations. 
So those inventories in these type of cases allow the navigation of questions, questionnaires to be a little more fluid. That's cool. I wanted to shift a little bit. And what would you say are like the top two ways that you market the fact that you do these evaluations? Marketing these evaluations encourage individuals to look at the system in which they flow. So typically you're going to be receiving the patients that you work with through attorneys. So attorneys, in that instance, become the gatekeepers, become the individuals that you want to build that sustainable relationship with. And the attorneys themselves, they're serving the clients by helping them navigate their immigration case. So these are just, do you generally focus on immigration attorneys or attorneys in general, or how do you? I generally focus on immigration attorneys. They do carry an extensive caseload. What I looked at as far as little statistics that I keep in my own from the clinicians that I've consulted, about four to five attorneys can keep a, a case or keep a practice full. And, and that's also connected to the, the rate that they're, they're charging. One of the marketing strategies that I really enjoy is connected to what, what artists do. My brother's an artist and he's able to create these beautiful drawings and paintings. And then he shows them to the world. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. And, and he gets to show his work and then we get to walk by it and go, yeah, I want to buy this and have it in my living room. This is awesome. So the evaluation, I try to allow it to carry that same essence, if you will. And it's where clinicians write like a template of an evaluation of, of what they would do and how they would showcase the information. And then that evaluation, they then send it to an attorney and say, listen, you know, of course, not with this type of language. But, you know, listen, here's this evaluation. This is the type of work that I can do. And that generally allows them to have one step in the door. Got it. And then aside from immigration attorneys, do you like anywhere else that you market like organizations, anything like that? I do go to a few organizations. There's one here called Faith Action International. They do serve a lot of minorities, undocumented individuals. So that does help with referrals. I also connect with current referrals that I have, other clinicians, medical clinics, some of the smaller ones. I look for the ones that are either run by a Hispanic person or someone of a different uh, background, mm. because typically the clientele they're going to serve is going to be a little bit different than some of the um, bigger hospitals, and then share the same information with them. Another marketing strategy is highlighting how you conduct the evaluation through like a video format or even what we're doing now where you do an audio format. It's really just you getting behind the mic or getting behind a video and saying, you know, if I were to work with you in writing a hardship evaluation or a U visa evaluation, this is what the process will look like. And then putting that out there through social media, your Instagram, your Facebook page, or your, your website. Clients and attorneys are able to then look and, and say, okay, this person you know, knows what they're doing and they're sharing that with me. Right. And it's a different medium, right? Like the video or the audio format. There's some like there's a, especially for these kind of evaluations, I think there's a strong human component or human element that gets emphasized. Like Juan is not just somebody that does a these immigration out evals, but here's, you know, here's this guy and, you know, this is what he looks like. And, you know, he seems like a nice guy and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, Absolutely. That's cool. I wanted to wrap up with like a final question, which again, this might be a completely naive question, but I was always under the assumption, maybe this is like just grad school training, but I was always under the assumption that like in general, psychological evals are typically done at the doctoral level. Are immigration evals like, are they an exception or how do they fall? Like, you know, where do they fall on under that? Immigration evaluations fall more like in the psychosocial 
because they look more at those components. I like to use the example of a CCA. Do you remember that term, comprehensive clinical assessment? Yeah. yeah. Right. So in there, you have a lot of components, medical history, uh, presenting problems. It's almost like that in the entire intake process. Now imagine that, but each component you extended and, and allowed it to be much broader. So like in the family history, instead of asking just check-like questions, you go more into what took place during this individual's family history. Was there trauma? If so, how has it impacted the person or those around them? Then from there, an evaluation can turn from, let's say, a two-page evaluation to a 15 to 30-page evaluation. Got it. So you're almost like channel zeroing in into a specific section, particularly that biopsychosocial section, kind of going really deep into it. Whereas like, I guess a typical like what a psychologist might do, for example, they might take like an MMPI or something like that. So it's like less of that, but more of like the social aspects that did I hear that correctly? Correct. Correct. Yeah, very well said. And there are parts depending on how an individual writes an evaluation. I'll give you a small snippet of mine. There's parts where I'll go into an inventory, but I don't do it to the extent that let's say a psychologist does one of theirs where they break it down, all the metrics, all the graphs. I go more into what's a simple average Joe interpretation of this inventory that this person just took? How does it interconnect with the rest of the findings in the evaluation? And and then maybe connect that to a prognosis as well. Got it. Juan, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your heart and the desire to do this work. I feel like it's so needed, um, especially in this season. And yeah, I'm just grateful for the work you're doing. Where can we learn more about you and some of the awesome work that you're doing in the world? Thank you. I've enjoyed my time here with you. You're welcome to, I think the catchword now is follow me, right? That's a cool word on the streets. <laughs> yes. Where can we follow you? <laughs> my website is santoscounseling.com or I'm a big fan of Instagram. It's easy to get on there, shoot a video or, you know, have a quick chat with you at santos underscore counseling. Sounds good. And Juan, is there any way, like if folks are listening and they're interested in doing these evals and maybe wanting to like get a consult, is there, do you offer any services like that where folks can get started? I do. I offer personal consultation. Then I also have a course that was created by myself and then a fellow attorney here in our area, North Carolina. And I can give you all of those details, you know, after we finish up and maybe have them on the show notes. Yeah, perfect. I will definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah, I will definitely put that in the show notes for you guys. Juan, I'm thankful for you. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you so much, Melvin. I truly have appreciated this moment. Connect with you and all your listeners. You're so welcome. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Juan. And especially if you've been thinking about doing immigration hardship evals. I hope that today's podcast session has been particularly helpful for you. Be sure to also check out session 173 of Selling the Couch, where we also had a previous conversation on immigration hardship evals, just to give you kind of a breadth of different perspectives and things like that. I enjoyed this conversation, one, because I felt like these kind of evaluations are ones particularly, I think, that they have kind of a missional component to them. And I like the fact that, you know, there's such a need for them. And because it's not what we think of as a traditional psychological evaluation, that you don't necessarily need to be at the doctoral level to do these. Now, of course, check with your state board if you have any kind of questions or anything like that, since I am not a state board. So, 
Juan also has, uh, as he mentioned at the end of the interview, he does consultation with clinicians who might want to get started. So be sure to reach out to him. Again, his website is over at santoscounseling.com. And then he also has an e-course to get started with these immigration evals. He actually co-created this e-course with an immigration attorney down in North Carolina. And so it's got a good perspective of both from the clinician as well as from the attorney side as well. You can find a discount code to that course over on the show notes page for today's session, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 209. As we wrap up, Again, I wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast sessions. And as I mentioned, uh, Therapy Notes is an electronic health record. So if you've specifically been looking at going more online and less paper, I encourage you to check out Therapy Notes. They have really good reputation in our field. I've gotten to meet them several times now, and I really just love the work that they're doing in the world. As I mentioned, one of the I wanted to talk a little bit more about those paperless intakes because I know this is something that I've been thinking a lot about. One really cool feature is when you're sending this, when you're sending any kind of documentation, you're you can actually have a completely custom branded appearance like for clients. So whenever a client has their own patient portal or client portal. And so you can, for example, have your own logo, you can have your own colors there. You can do a customized welcome message and then um, specific instructions that fit your writing style and all of those different things. And yeah, it just, I think little things like that just form a nice connection with clients and make them feel welcome. You can learn more about therapy notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. Have a wonderful rest of your day and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.